following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. How many of you are 60 and above? Can I put them up and be proud of it? Yeah, there you go. Come on, let's hear it for these people. That's 60 and above. Oh, that was, that's a nice golf clap. That's great. You know that the 60 and above crowd are, are actually incredibly wealthy. Do you realize that? They have silver in their hair. They have gold in their teeth. They got stones in their kidneys. They got lead in their feet. And they got gas in their stomachs. That's right. Wealthy. But what do you call those older than 60 crowd? Senior citizens makes us cringe, you know? It makes you look like you're waiting for a walker or something like that. No one likes aged or old folks. Gray-headed is a little um, disrespectful, even though it's true. My favorite is seasoned. Can you say that with me? Seasoned. Yeah, you know when a dish is fixed just right, it's perfectly season. Baseball, when that glove is worked in, almost like it's an extension of your hand, it's a seasoned glove. And that's a great term to describe those who are older, seasoned, because really being older is is not basically waiting for that last door to open as you enter into heaven, but it's actually you have incredible opportunities to live for Jesus Christ and to honor him even no matter what age you are. 77% of all the assets in the United States are held by people 55 and older. 55 and older. 77%, they're wealthy. In fact, are you ready for a shock? There are more people 65 and older than there are teenagers in the United States. Let me say that again. That is proven fact. I checked it four different times in different ways. There are more people 65 and older today than there are teenagers in our nation. Wow! In the midst, though, of a youth culture that is uh, always based upon being new and fit and young and fast, the season sometimes can be marginalized or feel forgotten. Even at this moment, some of you are saying, well, I'm not a senior, I don't need this. Interesting enough, stop talking that way, friends, because you're a Christian And we're to honor those who are older. Can I hear an amen? That's right. Oh, yeah, that was by the old people. Um, Nice. You're you're a child. You have grandparents or parents. Uh, You're a student. You need examples. We need those who have walked with the Lord before us. And so then how do the seasoned make a difference? How do you stay young in the faith? And for all of you, everyone, no matter what your age, student all the way to 99, basically, how is it that at every age, do you keep your walk with Christ vibrant and alive? Well, you open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 90. If you're not there, please get there. Psalm 90 in your Bibles. It's in the book of Psalms. And answer this basic question, which is, how do you live staying young? There's incredible principles that are here. No matter what your age, Psalm 90 is going to tell you how to do that, how to stay vibrant in your faith. 
Interesting enough, we're in the midst of a series that's walking through the Old Testament. It's called The Faithful Love of the King. Last week, John took us right up to the mountains of Moab. Moses is looking over. He preaches his first sermon, and you hear that. We're going to take a little hop back now to the time when they're wandering through the wilderness, when they're basically experiencing the consequences of their sin of disbelief. For you seasoned, I'd like you to write these in your Bible. When we get to the principles, don't just write them in your outline, write them in your Bible. I want you to remember. Can you seniors remember? Can you still do that? Uh, interesting enough, one of the lay leaders challenged one seasoned woman to be thinking about the hereafter. She told him, oh man, I, don't, I think about that all the time. No matter where I am, in the living room, upstairs, the kitchen, the bedroom, I, I ask myself, what am I hereafter? There you go. I thought that was a little bit more funny than that, but uh, so write these down, would you? I'm going to walk through the psalm featuring and focusing on one particular verse that's really really the key verse in the psalm, and then I'm going to draw up principles that are going to teach us how to stay young at heart and how to be vibrant in our faith, no matter how old you are. How can you be genuine, more impactful? How do you keep your heart alive? Well, I love Psalm 90 because it was written by an old man, Moses. Uh, is the author, see the superscription there in your outline and in your notes, right below the title, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. I know, at least I have a suspicion, that he didn't write it when he was in Egypt in his first 40 years. Uh, I'm pretty strong in my opinion that he really didn't write it during his time of shepherding for the next 40 years out in the desert. I believe he wrote it when he was in the wilderness wanderings with the nation of Israel that are headed toward Israel before Deuteronomy, before those final sermons, before they enter the promised land. And it is the oldest psalm in the Bible, written by the only psalm that Moses wrote. Here it is, Psalm 90. It's a prayer written by Moses to give perspective to the children of Israel while they're in their wilderness wanderings. How are they to look at this incredible consequence that they're suffering because of their disbelief? And again, basically, God would not let Israel enter the promised land until everyone over 20 years of age had died. So if you're above that, you're going to die before you enter the promised land. So how are we to look at life? This is talked about in Numbers 13 and 14. Well, knowing the facts about this psalm really doesn't help you feel the punch of reality. Because the reality of this situation, have you considered how many Israelites actually died on the wilderness journey? Bible scholars estimate about a million adults, a million, had to die, about half of the population. If you do the math, which I did, that means about 70 to 80 funerals every single day. Sounds depressing, doesn't it? An incredible time. Listen, that is four times more the average of the United States of America. I did the math. Uh, they're dying at an incredible rate for that percentage. Added to their wandering and waiting was death and dying. It was the stuff of everyday life. Death was literally knocking at the door every single day. They'd wake up going, who's died today? Interesting. Now you're ready to read it out loud. Take a look at point number one in your outline. The God is permanent, and you are what? Not, as far as living on this planet, verses 1 through 6. 
a prayer of Moses, the man of God. I want you to read aloud with me now, verses 1 through 6 from your outline. Let's read it together. Ready, everyone? Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. Have you ever babysitted an infant? I'm sure you have. They're like, verse 5, grass that sprouts anew. They're little sprouting flowers, right? Little kids. But towards the evening, verse 6, when you're old, they fade and what? Wither away. Wow. Number two in your outline, people must answer to a wrathful God. Verses 7 to 11, Paul's reminding them that there are consequences to sin. Consequences. So listen to verses 7 and 9. For we have been consumed by your anger. And by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a what? A sigh. Look at those analogies. Go back again even to verse 3. God is permanent, you are not. Verse 3, back to dust. Verse 4, like yesterday, a watch in the night. Verse 5, like a flood, like grass. Verse 6, fades and withers away. Verse 9, like a sigh. Verse 10 then he says, and as for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, and if due to strength, 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. That's so vivid for you here this morning. Understand life is just a season. A season of your existence. A small, very small season of existence. Sean Farrell loves to throw out a giant rope and he puts a little mark on that rope and that rope extends forever that way and forever that way and that little mark is your life. It's just that little moment of existence before we move into our greater existence. What does that mean? Well, look what he says, but you and I have to answer to a holy God. Verse 11, who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to fear that is due you. You know what happened, right? The 12 spies went in at Kadesh Barnea. They came back. Joshua and Caleb, we can take the land. The 12, uh, 10 spies are going, no, they're giants. We're going to die. Uh, you know, Joshua and Caleb are going, go. And the 10 spies are saying, no. And therefore, there's a massive consequence of that 40 years of wandering. And because of the disobedience, God was angry And there are consequences when we violate, when we don't believe, when they had whined and complained and all kinds of horrific things up to that point. And so the most important point Paul says, Paul, (laughs) Moses says in verse 12, look at number three, the answer to God's judgment and our weakness is to number our days. Number our days. Verse 12, look at it. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of what? Wisdom. 
Wisdom, put it, simple definition, truth lived. Truth lived. Obedience to this truth, to number our days, and the daily dependence upon him will not only create wisdom, but allow us to, number four, respond by appealing for mercy, joy, and a meaningful life. All right? Moses describes joy and gladness and favor in verses 13 to 17. Read from your outline, please, 13 to 17. Everyone together, here we go. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Wow. Wow, what a psalm. Maybe you don't grab all of it. Let me see if I can highlight some things. Here they are surrounded by death every single day. So teach us, he says, to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. And although we measure our age as a culture with years, right? We celebrate what? Birthdays. So annually, we think about our life in that terms. Maybe it's wiser to number each day. For we live one day at a time, and life is what? Very brief. In the camp of Israel, a 20-year-old would not live beyond 60. It was a funeral march for 40 long years. And in light of eternity, verses 1 through 4, life is brief no matter how long we live. We need God's help to use our days wisely, verse 12, joyfully, verses 14 to 15. And real satisfaction comes in doing God's will, verse 14, living for God's glory, verse 16, growing in God's beauty, in verse 17. So practically, how can we then number our days, all right? Chuck Swindoll gives a very helpful outline that I have modified. Here they are. Stay with me now. Write these down. Put them in your Bible for your seniors. Your mind is not old. Keep developing it. And if you're going to be wise, you've got to be thinking, correct? You've got to be thinking, applying the truth. If we're going to number our days, we need to develop a mind that is wise. How do you develop a mind in order to be wise? Today is going to be a little unique in that I'm going to be exceptionally practical and pointed. All right, are you ready? Hang on to your seats. Suggestion number one, read more and watch less. That's for every age. Read more. Isn't it interesting when you ask somebody about a book, you say, what did you think? When you ask somebody about what they watch, you say, did you like it? It's a totally different perspective. Media doesn't make you think the way books do. Books do. You should be reading two, three, five, ten, forty different books a year. Just keep the mind alive at any age. Paul is at the very end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and what does he ask for? Bring me my books. He wants his books, and he's old. He's about to have his head chopped off. He goes, I want my books. Bring me my scrolls. Understand, if you're going to stay fresh in your spiritual life, you have to be reading books. Reading books. J. Oswald Sanders, spiritual leadership, it's got to be on your shelf. Piper's, Desiring God, Providence, that big fat one. 
Uh, MacArthur, Slave, Battling for the Beginning, Parables, Tale of Two Sons, Gospel According to Jesus, Christian Biographies, The Chronicles of Narnia for fun, Tozer, The Pursuit of God, read a marriage book as a couple, say, you don't do that, you don't do that, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, Read J.C. Ryle, Thoughts to Young Men, uh, to your sons, to your grandsons. Go to the book table. You realize this, our book table, we're not making money. We're operating at a loss so we can give you great books. No one's making money. We can push books all we want and our, our basic, our integrity is intact. Because we're not making any money. Go get good books. Read. Get your mind going. Go to Costco. Now here's the secret at Costco. Okay, if you like history, get the best-selling history books. The best-sellers. Don't get the one, some guy's dissertation that he threw out there and somebody published it. Gag, okay? He doesn't know how to write. Get the bestsellers and get some history in you. And then talk to people who read. Suggestion number two, discuss ideas and events more than people less. Discuss ideas and events more. The sorriest conversation is over people. If you want to know about people, get People Magazine. And then if you don't like, that's not enough, then watch Entertainment Tonight. And then if you want to compromise, then watch TMZ, all right? So understand, on Sunday, sometimes I'm walking around. I'm not spying on you, but I hear conversations. It's really fun. And I love being that busy bee running around, kind of hearing people. What I hear is people, politics, sports, videos, movies. And I hear truth, principles, Wisdom, prayer requests, sharing what's going on as they're ministering, incredible stuff. Your mind doesn't get old. Keep developing it. A little book called You and Your Thoughts reminds you, here's the quote, it's in your outline, I wanted you to have it. The human mind is a fabulous computer. As a matter of fact, no one has been able to design a computer as intricate and efficient as a human mind. Consider this, your brain is capable of recording 800 memories per second for 75 years without ever getting tired. Some complain their brains are too tired to get involved with scripture memorization. The body can get tired, but the brain never does. A human being doesn't use more than 2% of his brain, and some demonstrate this fact more than others. There you go. I love that. Here's the point. The brain is incredible, and it can do an amazing amount of work, and it retains everything it takes in. It never gets tired. Keep developing Keep reading. Keep talking to those who read. Stay in touch with the real world. In fact, Philippians 4.8, you know, let your mind dwell on truth. Dwell on truth. Dwell on those things that you're learning. Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, but truth. And a final suggestion, number three, read more Bible than you scan the internet. Read more Bible than you scan the internet. And believe the Bible more absolutely. Is the Bible the living, active Word of God? Is it as if Jesus were standing here physically and speaking to you? Amen? Then read the Word. Stop scanning the Internet. Yeah! The Bible's the truth. the, the, The Word of God is absolute. You know, most news is tainted by the reporter. You know that. You know that networks, you know there's billions of things that they can report on. They pick what you're going to hear. It's all pre-selected. Sadly, many believers are more moved by stories in the news and bored with the absolute truths of the Bible. Listen, read, study, meditate on the Bible truth. Do it over and over again. My process this summer is to hear these sermons and to pick up 
verses that strike my heart and memorize them. To, to keep it constantly in the flow. You can do the same. You can do other things. Challenge yourself in your mind. Read, study, meditate. Choose to get ten times more excited than the Bible than the news. Number two. Your humor isn't over. Keep enjoying it. Humor doesn't end when you hit 60. That's a shock for some of you. I don't know anything more essential companion for the journey of life than a good sense of humor. Personally, I really don't want to be around those without one. People with a good sense of humor are contagious, they're exciting, they're alive, they're fun, and there's no greater therapy in life than laughter. I I love our pastoral team. Uh, We sharpen each other, but they all have incredible senses of humor. They're laughing at me all the time, you know what I mean? Listen, a sour, old, crotchety man or a bitter, sullen, critical woman is one of the crowning works of the devil. Can I say that again? A sour, old, crotchety man, a bitter, sullen, critical woman is one of the crowning works of the devil and no one wants to be around you no matter what age you are. I'm not talking about the latest clean joke but someone who takes the Lord seriously and themselves not seriously at all. Like the seasoned woman who wrote her family this letter, Dear family, says, I have become 65 years of old since I saw you last, and a few changes have come into my life. Frankly, I've become quite a frivolous old gal. I'm seeing five different gentlemen every day. Whoa. As soon as I wake up, Will Power helps me get out of bed. And then I go see John. Then Charlie Horse comes along, and when he's here, he takes a lot of my time and attention. When he leaves, Arthur Ritus shows up and stays the rest of the day. After a really busy day, I'm really tired. I'm glad to go to bed with Ben Gay. There you go. What a life. I'm never alone. Love, mother. All right? A sense of humor. Teen to season. Doesn't matter. Young and old. Look for the bright side of life. Get beyond the weather and the news. You know the news is negative. You know that, right? You know that the weather report, it never says partly sunny. It says what? Partly cloudy. Why is that? Come on! It's going to rain. What's wrong with rain? Except if you're trying to build a building. I I get that, All right. You know Philippians 4, you know it. You know these verses. Be thankful in what? All things. Rejoice always again, I say, come on people, this is what sets us apart. This is what keeps us alive and fresh. What are you going to look for when you look at life, when you look at people? A vulture, when it's flying over a desert, finds a carcass, right? Because that's what it's looking for. Hummingbird finds what? A flower when it flies over a desert because that's what it's looking for. What are you looking for? When you look at people, are you looking for the negative qualities, the thing that bugs you, or are you looking at their gifts? Are you looking at their service? Are you looking at the way they contribute to the body of Christ? Are you look at the way that they have blessed other people or blessed your own life. That's how we're to look at things. In Psalm 90, after numbering our days, again, your Bible's still open in Psalm 90, I hope. Did you notice verse 14? Look what it says. That we may sing for what? Joy and be what? glad all our days. See what he's talking about here? Rejoicing, thankfulness. Verse 15, look, make 
us glad. Little challenge to you, your kids, especially your grandkids, they don't want to be around a cranky old man or a bitter old woman. They don't. But they love being around a grand or a parent who's still having fun and is still fun to be with. It's so vital. So vital. Every wedding I officiate, and I've officiated many, not quite at 100, but I'm getting there, I ask, what do you remember from your childhood? What do you remember? And it's kind of a whole system of questions I ask. And that's always one that causes me the greatest amount of curiosity because they almost always say the same thing. You know what they say? What they remember from their childhood as they're getting married. Fun on vacation. The fun, not, not the serious talks you had. Not the discipline. But the fun that you enjoyed together. Even when it was horrific. You know, you stuck them in the back seat and you drove for 12 hours and no bathroom breaks. You know, that kind of thing. They remember. You seasoned, stay humorous. Parents, enjoy your children. Number three, your strength is not gone. Keep using it. If you're going to number your days, you've got to make sure you're using what God has given you. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, Psalm 90. Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us. Let his favor. And confirm for us, look at this, the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of of our hands. That's from an 80 to 120 year old man. Our hands have work to do. Confirm the work. You know this, Ephesians 2.10, God has prepared good works beforehand that you should walk in them. Already pre-prepared. You've got work to do. So what do you do? All ages? Suggestion one, be a help to people. Volunteer at church. Get involved in ministry. Sign up. Uh, You know, take a risk. Oh, you're busy. I get it. Take a risk. The most faithful laborers in our church are determined not to sit at home behind drawn shades. They get out. We need to be an incredible workforce for God's kingdom. The work that he's given us to do. Don't ever forget one way that you can be a help and serve one another and serve your family and serve your children and serve your grandchildren. The greatest among you will be your servant. So don't ever forget, if you get time with your grandchildren, remember the major purpose of grandparents with grandchildren is to affirm the importance of their parents. One of your jobs is to convince your grandchildren that they have the greatest parents in the world. Uh, I, I do that as often as I can with the people of this church. One of your jobs is to convince your grandchildren that they have the greatest grandparents in the world, parents in the world. Continually think, not grandparents, sorry. Uh, I'm the greatest. Yeah. And compared to Robert Dotson, man, I'm a beginner. Uh, think when you're with them. How can I affirm their mother and dad? How can I, how can I encourage that family relationship? Suggestion number two, invest time with friends. Invest time with friends. Now, when you get older, this gets more difficult. Uh, Form new ones. It's easy to sit around and mourn that a lot of your friends are gone. You think life just isn't the way it used to be. Well, aren't you glad? A lot of it was crummy. So what? Your friends are leaving? Make new ones. Make new ones. Why do you think God let you live or let you stay? If you remain 
just with the same old friends, you'll get cliquish. We have some incredible people coming to our church that could really use older, wiser friends. And all it takes is a choice to reach out. You know, fellowship, Acts 2 and all throughout the New Testament, is sharing Christ. It's, it's Christ in us, sharing Christ with Christians, fellowship. It's when Christ is manifested in that relationship is that that's when you have fellowship. Not red punch and stale cookies, but it's actually Christ. Suggestion number three, maintain a consistent exercise program. This is primarily for everybody. If you can't run, jog. If you can't jog, walk. If you can't walk, rock. I haven't met anybody that couldn't rock. Now, Chris, you're going, wait a minute, where do you get that? Well, 1 Timothy 4.8, you know, Paul says to Timothy, bodily discipline is of little profit. But it's still of profit. It's a little profit, but still little. I heard a doctor who, when he was diagnosing an older lady, he had known for years, she was in her 80s, she ran four to five miles every day, this gal. He looked at her little body, and he was a little concerned about her, and he told her that maybe she should take it easy. Encourage her to slow down. She did. Now, God's sovereign over death. He holds the keys of death in Hades. We're all trusting in that. We know no one ever dies by accident. But three months later, she died. And you know what the doctor said? He said, if I could take anything back, I'd take it back that I told her to take it easy. Never tell somebody to take it easy or not to exercise. You know, little King Julian here. Move it, move it. Okay. Um. (laughs) Sorry. We've really sunk to a new low today, haven't we? (laughs) On the other hand, you heard about the couple that died in a car crash, and they're walking around heaven as believers, and they're just, they're just in awe of everything around them. And finally, they're up there for about 30 minutes, and he looks over at his wife and says, Honey, we could have been here 10 years earlier if it weren't for oat bran. Okay, so understand there's, Nothing wrong with longing to go home. Colossians 3.2, you know, set your mind on things above. Be heavenly minded, that's great. But while you're here, you know, stay in shape so you can use the work of your hands. So you can stay as active as you possibly can. Number four, opportunities have not vanished. Keep pursuing them. If you're going to number your days, teach us, verse 12, to number our days that we may present you a heart of wisdom, that one version actually translated, assign significant to each and every day. Boy, that would be a life changer. If you started this week, this day is significant. I want to use this day for your glory. I want your purposes to ride over this day no matter what I'm doing. It would change your summer. It would change your life. Teach us how to do that. How to make every single day count. Not birthdays, every day. Every week I do this. I pray every Sunday. It's not just another Sunday. That we are ready to meet God and we're ready to worship Him and ready to align our lives under His Word and and offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And that somehow maybe God might penetrate a few hearts and draw them to Himself. Every Sunday. I, want, I, I don't want it to be just another Sunday. Don't you? I want it to be this day God was at work in our lives. Think of every day as untouched treasure. Untapped opportunities. Unappropriated privileges. 
number our days. This is Psalm 118, verse 24. You know this. Some of you a long time ago sang this. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made, right? Let us rejoice and be glad. That's our focus. That you have opportunity. Now, some of you go, man, I've done a lot of that. I've served. I've, I've given. I've traveled. I, I've, I share the word. I, I share the gospel. I, I, I do a lot of that. And I've failed many, many times. You know, trying new things is risky. Can I hear an amen to that? It's a little scary. I get it. But if you don't try, you'll never succeed. And my favorite illustration of that is, is Babe Ruth. Right? The Sultan of Swat. You know him. Everybody I know thinks of him as the home run king. 714 homers in his career. Babe Ruth. Amazing. What most people don't know is that Babe Ruth struck out more than any other baseball player in the history of the game. He did. 1,330 times. Wow. So a reporter comes up and says to Babe Ruth, what's the secret of your success? He says, I just keep going up there and swinging at them. Great counsel, isn't it? Start your day. Hey, you've fallen three times. Get back up and go after it again. Step up to the plate. Keep swinging even when you strike out. That's the way it is with opportunities. Trust the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on what? Your own understandings, your own way of thinking. Trust Him. Trust his word. Do the things that he's called you to do. Bring him glory. Uh, some I know that the seniors are working towards developing discipleship. Have you discipled someone? Are you a part of the discipleship team? Every once in a while there's you know, these discipleship groups that have met for 30,000 years in our church. And, and they're out there still meeting and discipling and training one another. You ever shepherd a small group? Have you ever gone overseas on a missionary trip? If you look at the pictures of what's going on in the Philippines right now, they are having a ball while they're giving themselves away. Incredible. Have you invited a friend to church and sat with them and followed up? Have you ever overseen a ministry? Oh, not me. Hey, why not? Have you sought to minister to younger people? Are you serving behind the scenes? Your opportunities have not vanished. There are plenty of things to do for God's glory. And number five, your God is not dead. Uh, Keep seeking him. He's not dead. Teach us to number our days. Every day counts. Assign worth and importance to every single day that we may present to you a heart of perfection. Right? No, he doesn't say that. doesn't want that. But he wants a heart of bitterness. Yeah! Just walk around. You know? He wants a heart of wealth. So you can be the envy of everybody. He wants a heart of achievement. No, what's he want? A heart of wisdom. Oh, man, you missed your opportunity. Let's try it. Everybody, he wants a heart of wisdom. Truth lived. Truth lived. That's the one ingredient the young don't have but want it and desperately need it. And the only way they're going to find it is if somebody will show them how to apply the Bible. Titus chapter 2, verse 3, older women are to train the younger women. 1 Peter 5, 5, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders. Are you investing in the next generation in some manner? So many seasoned, now we're talking about seniors at this point, have, have time, they have money, but they're bored. They filled their lives with perversion or pornography or pleasure or pampering or profanity or practices, and yet they have no purpose at all. It took a long time to write that. 
You know, sometimes it's easy to see gray hair and think, oh, they must be godly. Sadly, just because you're growing old doesn't mean you're wise, and just because you're up in years and have earned enough to retire doesn't mean you're godly. One of the biggest concerns above all concerns for the season is some of you are up in years have never actually come to know Christ personally, intimately, with saving faith. You, you need a, to live a fairly moral life. You, you, you've been faithful. You may have lost a lot. You, maybe you've learned a lot. Uh, maybe you're worldly wise. Maybe you even go to church faithfully. But today, are you absolutely certain that you are a believer? I wanted you to hear from one of our seniors. Welcome, if you would, Larry Preston. Would you please? Tell us a little bit, Larry, about your testimony and how the Lord's worked in your life. Oh, boy. Okay. Can you hear me? Let me make sure I turn that on for you. That'd this be is help. what happens when you become a senior. There you go. <laughs> okay. As an infant, I was baptized into the Catholic Church. I attended church and made sure everyone saw me as a good person, husband, and father. However, there was a dark side to me. I was taught, in order to be forgiven of your sins, you must confess them to a priest. After confession, you were allowed to receive communion on Sunday Mass. This legalistic approach allowed me to wallow in my sin Monday through Friday and receive absolution on Saturday. I quickly became like a Pharisee, knowing it was more important to look good to others than to be right with Jesus. As a, resort, as a result of my hypocritical lifestyle, my first wife and I divorced. After that, I met Marcy, who invited me to attend her church. I began reading the Bible and found discrepancies in what the Bible said and what the Catholic doctrine was. We were invited to attend a harvest crusade where I walked down the aisle, said the sinner's prayer, and it was an emotional experience, and I truly believed I was saved. Although I had made a profession of faith, there was no true repentance of sin or change in my lifestyle. Marcy and I were married, and though I was still not a true Christian, I served as a deacon in our church. How was your life like then now that he's kind of grabbed a hold of you, and how did he correct all that false religiosity? Great. When I turned 60, yeah, 60 years old, we began attending FBC and shortly thereafter began biblical counseling where I was confronted with the fact that I may not be saved. They suggested I go to John MacArthur's study Bible and read the scripture and questions in the genuine saving faith section. As I read the scriptures, I came across Matthew 7, 23 which says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Christ said, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. When I read that scripture, I realized there was no relationship between Jesus and I. At that moment, I knew hell was real. I was headed there and it terrified me. For the first time in my life, I saw the sorrow and pain my sins had caused others. 
I have been taught my whole life that Jesus had died on the cross for my sins, but because I didn't understand my sinfulness, I didn't need him. I went before him, confessed my sins, repented, and pleaded for his forgiveness and mercy. So how things changed now that you have actually come to Christ in reality? Jesus has changed my attitude toward my family. I have decided to dedicate my life into making Marcy's happy. I have a deeper love and respect for all of my children, and I try to set a Christian example to my grandchildren. Jesus also gave me a purpose in life. He has given me the strength, desire, and joy in serving in various ministries within FBC. Before I finish, I would like to address the following people. For those who have walked an aisle or said a prayer or made a profession of faith, I plead with you, check yourself against Scripture. Where you spend eternity depends on it. And to those who are retired, you have the opportunity to serve FBC in ways that will bring you joy and glory to God. Your service to our church body will have an impact on others in ways that will influence their lives forever. And I truly believe that. Amen. Would you thank, you. thank you, Larry? Thank you. There are people in our midst who don't know Christ. And if you don't, you'll never be wise, totally wise. You'll not go to heaven when you walk through that final door of death. The only way to heaven to be with God is through Jesus Christ. And the only way is to understand that you need to repent of your sins and to put your hope and life and trust and faith in Christ. Uh, he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life, and no one will come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Amen? He died for your sins. He took your punishment that you deserve, that should have fallen on you. He rose from the dead, and now... It's Christ who gives us life, true life, abundant life. Cry out to him to open your heart, make you new. Uh, then you can turn from your sin, depend on him, tell, tell him that you need him, especially as you grow older, that you are lonely and you're lost and you need forgiveness. Now, with your creator, not against him, start over. Surrender your life to Christ the one who took the punishment you deserve, and the one who is alive, and the only God who can save. You know, FPC family, you, you keep me young, and I love you very much, but your mind isn't old. You need to keep developing it. Your humor is not over. Keep enjoying it. Your strength is not gone. Keep using it. Your opportunities haven't stopped. Keep pursuing them. Your God's not dead. Keep seeking him. Number your days. Let's, let's count our days. Letter A, God's character drives us to number our days. Again, please look at Psalm 90. I hope that's still open in your lap. Verse 2, it says, as a creator, we know we're accountable to him. Verse 2 affirms his eternality, reminds us that life is short. Verse 7, if you look at that, his anger, wrath, and fury produces godly fear in us. Verse 14, his loving kindness satisfies each one of us. Verse 16, his work and majesty encourage us as his children. Verse 17, his favor motivates us to serve. Live every day remembering who God is. 
He is the one who made you. He's the one who hates sin. And Christ is the one who took that punishment that you deserve. He loves his children and his favor motivates us to live for him. Make sure you make every single day count for Christ. He's worthy. He's worthy of that. He did all that for you. Letter B. Our transitory nature drives us to number our days. Look back at verse 2. Come on, look at it, please. It says, we're going back to dust. Verse 5 and 6, we're like grass that fades away. Look at verse 9. We're like a sigh. Everybody ready? Sigh on three. One, two, three. That's it. That's you. That's me. That's it. You either live for Christ or you live for yourself. It's that simple. Living for him means doing the things that will last forever. What lasts forever? Though people die, they live forever. And his word will endure forever. So why don't you and I do everything we can to take his word and to invest it into people so that they might come to Christ and become like Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this reminder from Moses. Thank you that we could spend time really emphasizing, numbering our days. We pray, Father, that you would take your word and possibly Larry's testimony in sharing the gospel to draw some to yourself, that they might find themselves in that religious group, even Christian religion, but they don't know you. So, Father, we pray that you would crack through that hard heart and draw some to yourself, and for the rest of us, that we would truly live each day acknowledging the importance of it for your glory. And we'll give you all the praise and all the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.